Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Winner, winner's medals or prize medals from the Olympics uh, can c- command high, high values, even if they're not rare. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm a little nervous. We're having a thunderstorm right now, so I'm hoping I won't electrocute my head while we're recording. <laughs> You'll be fine. Just going to throw that out there. If I start screaming, be sure to edit that out. We don't want to scare the listeners too much. I know how to edit, so that's good. <laughs> I have to give you an update on my Olympic ticket situation. Yes, what this is has happening? been a big week. Uh, so, okay. as we left off last week with the saga, I was in a very long line. I had gotten into the sale. This is the Co Sport first come, first serve ticket sale. I got in, I managed to put some stuff in my cart, and while I'm paying, my cart zeroes out. I'm crushed. Yes. But. Later in the week, I got a confirmation from CoSport with the tickets that wait, I thought wait, wait. I lost. So the sale was completed and you didn't even know it? I, yes, the sale was completed and I didn't even know it. So what did you end up with? I ended up with three-on-three basketball. So we'll see. I think it's just some pool play. It was an early, early uh, nice. matchup. And then some wrestling. And I... <gasps> Don't know what it is, but I do hope it's announced by the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant. So come on, Japanese organizing committee, you know the voice to hire. So. Yeah, you need to have your English language announcer yes. And, yes. and Jason's it. Yeah. Oh, that would be so cool if you got to see him when you were there. Yes, that would be oh, so that cool. Would make, that would make me so happy. I wouldn't so. be there and I'd be and I'd still be so happy. I know, right? Okay, well, that was good okay. news. So that, that was, was good news. Okay, and, nice then, and then, of course... I bought access to that uh, 2012 Tweeps ticket bot, which is, they call it the OS site tracker. So it's uh, os-site-tracker.com and site is S-I-T-E. And it's just a bot that trolls like 11 different resellers in 
uh, Germany and the Coastport countries uh, to let you know when you have their their tickets available. And I was getting emails because, and this is partially on me, but I wanted to see what would happen with the bot. You can go in, you you get an account, and you can configure it for which authorized ticket resellers you want to see. And then you can configure what events you want to see. So I'd be getting these emails of like, Germany has tickets, and Austria has tickets, and Ireland has tickets. And it was just like, what is going on? And you'd get a bunch of them because every little change that affected one of the events you wanted to see would trigger another email. So there was a day I got like 15 emails and I was just going a little crazy. But on Monday afternoon, CoSport USA popped up and I said, what is this? And they had done a ticket dump. And even Ken Haskam had said like hundreds of tickets dumped on the site. And I would never have known without this bot. I would tell, I will tell you. So I popped in and sure enough, there were tickets for like 16, 20 events. There were like water polo, artistic swimming, tennis. I missed archery because I only had one ticket. Football, golf sailing there were there was so much there that i was just like is this really happening so i and it really was like how can this be there were no tickets all these people were disappointed but me with the the 15 euros i spent on this bot found out and got tickets to taekwondo so we're going to see some medal round action on a couple of weight classes oh I nice got some early action badminton which oh, that's I was be wild. It is. And I was so excited to even begin to get that because I thought it would sell out like crazy. Um, more men's epe fencing. So we are going to see the entire team competition now for men's epe. So it'll be one long day, but it'll be pretty fun. And then handball, women's bronze medal match. You scored. I did score. And could have gotten more. I mean, it was just amazing what was there. I just was every time I kept looking for other tickets or events because I did the same thing where you'd refresh and something would pop up. And it, it just it got to be like you could you could really get some interesting stuff. Huh. So this, we are... is, this ticket buying, though, just from your experience mm -hmm. with it, this is really much too complicated. It is very complicated. It should not be this hard. Right. And I it's... mean, if things sell out, I mean, obviously gymnastics is going to sell out, the opening right. ceremony. But to get some archery tickets should not require a bot and half, a, you know, missing a half a day of work and <laughs> going back and forth three different events. And now you've spent like a hundred bucks on shipping. For Actually, all these so this. This round of tickets, because I think part of that is on me because I created another address, this set of tickets is bundled with another shipping fee. So I did not have to pay the shipping fee again. Okay. Well, that's good. That's something. So I'll take that. But There's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, you would think it would be interesting if they could possibly put up seating charts. And let you know, like, this is how oh, many Oh, you don't know where you're sitting? No, you don't know anything. You just have a price category. Wow. And I had heard in the past that people have gotten split up in their tickets. Like, they'd get, you know, you'd ask for four tickets and they wouldn't be together. So, I don't know how that works. But well, it you know is what? very opaque. 
you you will make some new friends. I know, I know, but I am telling you. I do remember you had a little issue with some of your seatmates when you went to Salt Lake City at short track speed skating. They were not fans of your bell. <laughs> do I remember that story? Probably, correctly? probably. Yes, I have okay, a, so I have a cowbell. You, yeah, you may want to leave the cowbell at home this time. But I have two cowbells now. <laughs> Just saying, save that for the outdoor events. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah, I will say that having that bot really is interesting. I think you need to... I, I went back in today before we taped and reconfigured it so I wasn't seeing every reseller because I don't need to know anymore. You don't need to know what the Germans are doing. No, because I can't... I mean, it's if you lived in, like, France, yes, I'd want to know what the Germans are doing because I could buy off their website. Right. But um, since I don't, now I, I'm really trying to cut down on the emails. But... This was a big surprise and a very nice one. So we still, there's still a little bit more that I want to get. We're really gunning for some modern pentathlon. Would love to get archery. Uh, would love to get shooting women. Mm -hmm. We'd love to see Team Olympic Fever member Kim Rohde on ski competition. And then it'd be nice to get judo, but I would not, I would hey, not got, hold out hope. You got badminton. I know. I know. And I almost got table tennis yikes so but that those houses are going to be rocking they are it's going to be exciting so still well, a little bit more work good to do, but on we are, you. yeah i know i know and you know you know who else loves us visa <laughs> check the credit card statement oops yeah <laughs> everywhere you want to be i know but those tickets will be nice because they will make for good souvenirs Good point. And that is the topic of today's conversation. Today we are talking about Olympic collectibles, particularly those that end up on the auction block. Take a listen. John, thank you so much for joining us. John Becker is the Olympic auction consultant for RR Auctions. And we're talking about Olympic memorabilia today. And John, talk to us about specifically, well, we're talking specifically about the Items that go up for auction and RR Auctions has a couple of auctions every year in January and July, and they usually get some really interesting artifacts that go up for sale. Who sells these items? Well, it, I think they come from, well, they come from several sources. There are times, believe it or not, that actual athletes will consign their medals, for example, or their badges or uniforms or things like that. They be it that they're older and they want to leave a legacy of money for uh, one of their kids, for, perhaps, or a family member maybe has passed on that was an Olympian and their children don't have the same attachment to it and they'll consign it. Uh, also, they're collectors, very serious Olympic collectors, which will consign Olympic memorabilia to the auction, uh, as well as just ordinary people that maybe have something that – a family member may have acquired and they don't know what it really is. It turns out to be worth something. And so they put it in an auction. I mean, it comes from many different sources. And, and you were talking about serious collectors. These, these items can command some serious prices. They can. And, yes. and we're talking like seriously in the thousands. So, so what makes an Tens item? Yeah. In some cases. And, and what makes well, an item valuable? Well, several things. Several things. One, of course, is rarity, which is the common denominator that uh, most people look at first. But it doesn't always determine 
high value necessarily. I mean, people have come to me with, over the years, they've come to me with a, a, a piece of Olympic memorabilia, let's say a badge, a pin or something from 1920s or 30s, and they'll say, well, you know, this is very rare. And, and it very well maybe. The problem is, of course, supply and demand. So, yes, there may be one or two of them, or maybe there are only 10 surviving pins of this type or medals of this type or whatever. But if people, if it's not attractive, if collectors aren't really interested in it, it might not command that high a price. However, on the other side of the coin, winner, winner's medals or prize medals from the Olympics uh, can c- command high, high values, even if they're not rare. And what I mean by that, to clarify that, is, for example, Older Olympic medals, when the Olympic Games were a much smaller event, uh, for example, in 1912, 1920, 1924, where you had only a few hundred medal winners, let's say, uh, of all types, gold, silver, bronze, uh, those, they command decent prices, anywhere from you know, three to $4,000 on up to seven, dollars $8,000, depending if it's gold, silver, or bronze. But today's medals, such as a Vancouver gold medal from the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver, uh, which RR happens to have in the current auction. Uh, That one, this is the first time that we think that a Vancouver winner's medal has been in a public auction. Now, there's been a great expanding of sports, uh, of various events in the Winter Olympics in recent years. And so there are a lot more winners. So there are a lot more medals. And yet... These ones go for much higher dollars because no one has them yet. The collectors don't have a Vancouver. They don't have uh, a Sochi as much, for example, from 2014, or Rio for the Summer Olympics in 16. Most of the athletes that have them, well, they don't want to give them up. And these days, they get cash prizes for winning. The athletes do. So they're not needing the money anymore to the same degree that they did maybe 30, 40 years ago. And collectors used to get winners' medals back then from Eastern Bloc countries, former Eastern Bloc countries, because they needed the money. And it's rather sad, but many Eastern athletes were selling their medals. Uh, they had won over the years uh, because they needed the money. So, you know, rarity is one way uh, of determining a value. But yes, they can go anywhere from 2000 all the way up to 50, 60, 70,000, or even more, believe it or not. Does the IOC put any restrictions onto what medalists can do with their medals? No, they can do anything they want with them. Uh, I've never heard of anything like that, whether the, you know, being a restriction that, like like an Academy Award, now you can't sell it. Right. Uh, they have you sign a contract when you win an Academy Award, and you have to offer it back to the Academy for a dollar if you. Uh, if you fall on hard times and want to sell your Academy Award. So, but no, medals, Olympic medals are, uh, it's a big commodity. I was just at a world, the world collectors event, which they have every year, uh, world Olympic collectors fair. And it's in a different city every year around the world. And this past May, Warsaw, Poland hosted the collectors fair. And there were, a lot of different winners' medals, badges, participant medals, all sorts of Olympic memorabilia there. And collectors from all over the world come to it. And the prices, again, were all over the place. It's it's interesting. And, and it also, I'm sure, the type of item that you have, because you have more than medals, you've got torches and diplomas and posters and yes. other kinds of pins. Sure. It, I mean, collectors can get very narrow in their focus of what they collect, correct? Yes, yes. I have to admit, when I started collecting Olympic memorabilia, 
years and years and years ago, uh, I collected anything. It wasn't nailed down. It was of interest, and I, I would throw it in a bin. <laughs> and so ultimately, I had these bins full of Olympic stuff, and you tend to narrow things down as you get older. And you, I, I found that I was really limiting myself. And there are many other people like that. There are people that, there are people that collect just about everything. There are pin collectors, for example, that will collect all sorts of Olympic pins. Metal collectors, of course, posters, diplomas. Yes, you mentioned the programs, paper, uh, ephemera uh, of the Olympics, uh, tickets, for example, uniforms, or even some collectors that will go, out, go for Olympic uniforms that athletes wear. So all different things. Mascots, that's another one. So, and, and do you find over the years with the advent of the internet and more digitization of, of things that not as much paper exists? What, now, what do you mean not much paper? Like sure com maybe compared to, say, like 1984, are you finding as many programs? programs? Oh, you mean, is there less produced because yeah. of... Yeah, because the, things are on the internet now. Yeah, well, in certain aspects, yes. I mean, tickets are still produced. They're, you know, there's still, still print tickets for the Olympics. They used to do daily... down you don't see as much of it anymore so if you end up with paper things they could be a lot more valuable the newer mm, or, or does that depend it's yeah okay supply and demand it's supply and demand uh if people really wanted it they would produce it and the trend is that people don't want it as much so they're not producing it as much and collectors don't seem to be missing it to be honest they really don't so when we talked to Terry Hedgepath, who is the um, uh, mm -hmm. Team USA archivist, um, she was saying yes. her holy grail was a St. Louis medal. Uh, oh, the winner's the prize. Yeah, well, that is one of the rarest of them all. Absolutely. Exactly. So what are some other oh, things sure. that would be just too exciting for you to contain yourself? <laughs> I'm jumping up and down on my feet. Uh, the, um, well, the, the certain quote, holy grail medals uh, from an Olympics would be, for example, a first place medal from the first Olympics, 1896 in Athens. Uh, there were very, very few produced. There were no gold medals. There were only two places. It was silver and then bronze. So first and second only. And there are just a handful of those that exist. So those would command one in an, an English auction several years ago went for, I believe, maybe two to three hundred thousand dollars now that was excessive and overpriced but realistically uh an 1896 silver medal should be you know 100 125 dollars i would think so that's a, that's one that's up there st louis absolutely the st louis they they actually awarded a number of different types of medals because the olympics in st louis was kind of a mishmash it was during the exposition 
the uh, St. Louis Exposition in 1904. So it was kind of a sideline. And it went over many, many months. The, uh, they had YMCA-level events. They had youth events. They had college championships. They all kind of called them Olympics. But there was a section of about two to three weeks that they actually had the, quote, Olympic Games, of which there was a special pro daily program, which is quite rare, and then the actual prize medals, which are, are very attractive, really nice medals that are super, super rare. And they say Olympics on them. I mean, they are the, de the real deal. And, yes, they command 75000 if you can get one, something in that area. They sell for quite a lot of money. Uh, I'm just trying to think of other ones that are very rare. Uh, well, one that comes to mind, 1956. Uh, 1956, the equestrian events in the Olympic was held in Stockholm, Sweden, where, where the rest of the – and the other Olympic events were held in Melbourne, Australia because of strict animal quarantine laws that the Australians had at the time. So for the only – for the first time and only time so far, the, some of the events were actually held in two different countries in that year. Now, the winner's medals for the equestrian events are exceedingly rare because there were only a handful of events, you know, maybe a dozen or so. So a gold medal from one of the equestrian events would be $30,000, $40,000 probably today. So that's another one that's exceedingly rare. And then any winter ones are rarer than their summer counterparts because they just are – there were so few made, especially in the earlier Winter Olympics. There are just very, very few around. When you're working with RR, you uh, you authenticate and and help give a value to the item, correct? Yes, an estimate of what they're worth, an estimate for like a reserve price, if if any, that kind of thing. Yes. How do you, have you have you found items that weren't authentic? <laughs> yes, uh, I have run across a few, and over the years, and not uh, other than RR, I have. And I think all collectors have on this. There are quite a few. And now, unfortunately, it's gotten worse to a large degree because uh, some are coming out of the Eastern Bloc, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries that uh, actually have been copying metals and trying to pass them off online. For example, on eBay is one place. And uh, they're selling these, these metals that are actually not proper. They're not real. And some torches now also are being copied. There are some metals that are being sold now, and they're actually copies of winner's medals that are made in China that you can buy now online for 30 or $40. They're not, they're not pretending that they're real. They're calling them souvenir or copies, but they're pure violation of copyright. I'm surprised that the IOC has not kind of clamped down on that. I'm really surprised. But yes, you do find copies, uh, for example, of a lot of 1936 Berlin material. For years, there, there have been copies of that stuff, badges as well as medals, because uh, military collectors love World War II items, and that falls under the Nazi era. And so therefore, there's a crossover collector there. So there's been a lot of copies made of those over the years. So yes, long story short, yes, there are copies and there are fakes, and I have found a few, yes. Have you found where the the person selling it didn't know that it was a counterfeit? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I don't find most people – in fact, virtually anyone that I bumped into uh, that I pointed out the problem with one of their 
items. They did not know, and I believe it. I absolutely believe it because you know they bought it from someone. They didn't know. They were maybe not as experienced, so they weren't able to tell what it was. So, yes, I do not think that just about anybody that I've been involved with or even our, for our, our sake uh, authenticating intentionally knew that they were that they were not real or they were real. They didn't know. Ow. Yeah, I can't imagine. That has to be frustrating to figure and out. heartbreaking. Yes, well, you're right. <laughs> it is frustrating. And I'll be quite honest. I have bought things in the past for myself that I have gotten stuck with that turned out to be a copy. So, I mean, it happens to everybody. I hate to say it. You just try and minimize your losses. <laughs> yeah. How, how does an ordinary collector avoid? What are some things that ordinary collectors can do to avoid that? Well, it, it's for the most, I'd say, I would say the odds are still 99% of the time you're going to get an original. Uh, it's just there's not a lot of, of copies or fakes rather out there. It's not a huge number, but, and this is kind of a common thing in this industry or in collectors, is buy from a reputable dealer or collector. You know, be sure that they are, they know what they're doing. Get, uh, be sure you have a ref you know the refund policy if it turns out that it is not original. If you can do that, I mean it's not always easy to do, but you know if you're if you're at a show, for example, collector show, and somebody sells you something, first of all, again, be sure that they're reliable. But then say, you know, if this turns out to be not correct, can I have my money back? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say sure, because they don't want a reputation of selling something that's not real. But I've also had situations where somebody claims something's not real to, to me, and I point out that it is real. They didn't know. They assumed it was fake because somebody else said that, and the other person really didn't know. So it's, it's, you just have to have an eye for it over the years, and no one is perfect, and I'm certainly one of them. I'm not perfect in it, and everyone can make mistakes on it. But reputation helps a lot in this, in this field. Let's talk about torches really quickly because sure. that's another item that, that people, when they really get into collecting, that seems to be a, a category that people love. And it it's, yes. seems interesting as torch relays get longer and more involved, the more torches there are in the market, right? Which is true. You're absolutely right. Well, it's become it's become kind of a business, let's be honest. I mean, it's the, yes, in the quote, old days, uh, there weren't that many torches, though you'd be surprised. I mean, in 1936, the first torch relay was the for the Berlin Olympics. That torch, they made over 2,000 examples. Wow. And Which isn't small. So there are a fair amount of those that survive, uh, which explains why you can buy one today for between two and $3,000, which is not a huge amount for one of the first torches. The holy grail of summer Olympic torches, uh, 52 Helsinki, there's only a handful. There may be 20 or 30 that were made. And the uh, Helsinki ones, I the last one that came to auction, I, I, I may be speaking out of school, but it was between two and 300,000. I may have been much more than that, too, so I'm not wow. sure. Right. Oh, and uh, a 1956 Stockholm, remember the equestrian event of which there are only a handful of those torches, one just sold at auction, I think earlier this year, and that one went for several hundred thousand. So, wow. But, so they also had their own torch relay 
or lighting of the cauldron mm-hmm. for that. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They sure did. And, but getting back to my long winded uh, response to your question about the number of torches today, you're absolutely right. It's become their thousands, 13, 14, 15,000 are produced for uh, a modern Olympics. I mean, I carried the torch in 2002 for Salt Lake and there were 12, I think approximately 12,000 of them made. So, and because they, and then you can buy one, you know, as a torchbearer, you buy one for a very small amount of money, but um, they're certainly making a profit on them, I bet. <laughs> anyway, but uh, there are thousands of them. You know, I mean, they're, but they are incredibly popular. I mean, if you're talking about, if you look at RR's auction right now that's going on today, for example, you'll get every one, almost, I think almost every one of their torches has a bid on it already. And some of them are fairly common, the more modern ones, because again, there are thousands of them. But there are some of the older ones. They've got stronger bids, and I think almost all of them have bids. There's a magic about Olympic torches. It, it is a fascinating world when you get into memorabilia. And just when I, the other day I looked at the Tokyo 2020 store, even all the collectible things that they keep coming up oh, with. Oh, sure. Oh, yes. That, yes, that may or may not be. be too. Yeah. So I want to know yeah, the most favorite. modern stuff is not that valuable. I mean, won't be that. It's not yeah. an investment type of thing. I would never recommend somebody buying things today, uh, Olympic items, as an investment potentially because you're not going to win. I mean, Olympic pins, for example, sponsor pins today, they make so many of them that uh, I say to people who who ask me about pins, for example, I say buy them because you like them, trade for them because you like them. Don't think they're going to increase in value because they don't. You know, some of the rare country pins, NOC pins, the uh, athletes trade with at an Olympics. Those can increase in value sometimes. And some of the older ones certainly have high values, the rarer types. And older media pins, radio, television, some of the very rare old ones have, uh, have substantial values. Uh, but modern ones today, for most, most cases, just, they just don't really have the value. Unless they're for your great-great-great-great-grandchildren there and everyone else is throwing right. them away. That's it. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. So what's your favorite item in your collection? I'm in, I am partial to Olympic diplomas. That's just a thing I like. Uh, Olympic diplomas to me are special because they're art. And I long ago when I was in my collecting history with Olympics, I kind of decided to my, for myself, if I can't display it, yeah, I don't really want it. So I shied away from the medals. I shied away from things that you have to put away or put in a safe. And so I started collecting diplomas. And my favorites are the old ones, which are huge. They're gorgeous graphics. They are some of them the size of posters. And uh, they're somewhat, you know, they're 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 special and very and very attractive. So that's my thing are the diplomas and the older ones. The newer ones are very unappealing to me. But the old ones are really special. I was going to say, how many off the list do you have, or, or do you have them all? All the ones. Well, I limit you're... myself. No, I don't have them all. I, I mean, I'll never. I'll probably never get an 1896 Athens one because they're very rare. And if I could find one, it would be twenty thousand dollars, perhaps. You know, maybe more, which I really don't want to spend. <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, I have most of the other ones, all pre pre-war. Pre-World War II, 
because after the war, after the Second World War, I mean, most of them just, to me, just aren't as interesting. And also, there's only so much wall space. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I have to keep my wife, wife happy, too, and I can't, I can't start expanding the collection out into the hallway, down into the living room, into kitchen and such she wouldn't be very happy about it. can and we so, take the wedding picture down because i got this diploma from yeah, 1936 right. there, you go. there you go i've got this right that's it this is better looking right mm. yeah no that doesn't work oh and i also think for for diplomas just as an example they're undervalued because when you think about it a first place diploma to the winner of a gold medal is just as rare as the gold medal and yet you can buy one for thousands less than the gold medal itself. So that's just a, just an observation, especially the older ones. Interesting. Interesting. Well, John, I know you've got to run, but thank you so much for your time and for hopping on the show. Our, our auctions, Summer Olympic auction ends on July 18th, but they do have auctions twice a year in January and July. Check out their website at rrauction.com for more information about bidding and consigning your items. I held $125,000 worth of metal in my hand when I went to Colby College to see the 1896. Oh, that's right. Oh, can you believe it? That's serious. And I bet that bowl would be, would be really valuable. Oh, too. I'm sure. Yeah, all of that. They had such an interesting collection up at, it's in Colby College in Maine in the archives. And they're lovely people. They had, they had the Connolly collection. Connolly won the first medal of the Olympic Games, the first winner's medal of the Olympic Games in its modern iteration. So worth a visit to see and uh, see all the interesting old Olympic memorabilia. But I hope they're properly insured. Oh, I imagine. I imagine. But I, I got to say, while, while John was talking, I started looking at these diplomas, and the old ones are really cool. Atlanta, no, I... not so cool. Yeah. Oh, but speaking of diplomas, did you get your Charity Footprints participation certificate? Not yet. I got mine, and it is delivered from the IOC, signed by T-Bach himself and Sarah Hirschland from the USOPC. But it's, I was impressed. I did not expect that as a little PDF giveaway for taking part. So hopefully others of you who were on our team got theirs because I, I thought it was cool. And now you have something from T-Bach. Now you know it was the little mechanical pen, but still... <laughs> That's only two degrees of separation. I know. And I'm just, I'm putting it out there that maybe, maybe we'll be at an event at the same time. Maybe I'm going to three-on-three basketball the, the first day of competition. Maybe he'll check in on the new sport. Because you know be he fantastic. goes all over the place. Oh my yes, gosh, he does. Don't embarrass us. Never. That when would, would I do that? Yeah, that would be me. Let's be honest. That's why they're not letting me out of the country during Tokyo 2020. See, they won't be able to stop me for Milan. They won't. They won't. But we're warned. They have a they have a seven year warning, so we're good. Let's move on to Tokyo 2020 news. Tokyo 2020 has put up a test event website that tells 
everything that's going on with the test events, that is readysteady.tokyo2020.org. That is a really cool site, and thanks to Architecture of the Games for the tip on that. And the archery test event, as we tape, they're wrapping up. They've had like a week-long event there. And there was some really interesting news about the From World Archery and what they learned from their test event. Did you look at that? I did not. So tell me, what did World Archery oh, learn? <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> Here, I will, I will look yeah. right now at what yeah, World exactly. Archery Well, they said like half of the venue is going to remain as a permanent archery field, which will be really cool to have that in the city and have that have that accessible for people who get into because i i bet they're going to have a bump a uh, bump in interest of people who want to try sports and having a facility like that that will remain will give them something to work with in the future and then the rest of the space is going to be converted into a running track that's also very cool something that they'll be able to use okay the running track would be a lot more effective if the people were shooting the arrows at the runners, <laughs> if we combine these two, I think you might get some better times on your run. Oh, man. Just but, think it. You might. Yeah. So it, it was interesting because some of the competitors say they were are, the 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 facility itself is fairly protected from the elements and particularly wind is something that plays a big part in archery. But they thought it was going to be hard to read the wind. So that'll be interesting if it turns out to be a, a factor in competition. Athletes really have to step up that knowledge. So, And I we'll don't see. think they get many days to actually practice in the facility ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think so. So it'll, you know, the, the archers who were there, this competition mm -hmm. will, probably, will probably see it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll talk about it at the time. Yeah, so... But but overall, I think things are pretty positive with that venue. So it'll be that's nice to know that the venues are coming along and uh, doing well. Yeah. Let's move on to our Team Olympic Fever update. <laughs> the FINA World Aquatics Championships have been taking place in Korea, which means our Team Olympic Fever artistic swimmer Jacqueline Simino has been competing. And, you know, she's had, I, I want to know how it's going for her. Because when I look at these results, I think, oh, I would not expect this compared to how she's done all season. Right. So World she's Cup been events. fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in a right. bunch of. Right. So in, in her two solo events, she placed fifth. She has, in the duet technical, she's been sixth. And the team has been fourth and seventh in their two different competitions. And there's still stuff ongoing, so she's still competing as we tape. But it, it's, you know, I, I would have expected, I don't want to say this because it sounds so mean. You know, I. Well, she has been, she has been meddling in pretty much every event that she's been competing in up until now. But I think what's happening is you have a confluence. Oh, right. Because not everybody went to every event. Exactly. So there you go. Exactly. Okay. So, but I mean, she's top seven in everything. Yeah. So, so to me, that looks like a pretty darn good I know, competition. Road to hopefully. And apparently, yes. she debuted a new program. Oh, I did not know. Holy cow! That's hard to one do. One of her, one of her solo programs was brand new. 
at world championships interesting and she still placed fifth so that's pretty amazing that's that's pretty gutsy i would say because i mean in these judged sports you think that judges like to see the routine over and over but who i don't know i don't know how it works maybe it's the opposite where are you getting stale are they getting tired of it oh i don't know very good so put something fresh that they go oh what is that right Hmm. shiny new thing more questions about the world of artistic swimming. I know. That we we got to have Jacqueline yeah. back on. Exactly. Just because we love her and we want to talk to her again. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's right. Uh, Josh Williamson, our Team Olympic Fever bobsledder, was on an episode of the Orlando Sentinel Conversations podcast in April. So this popped up in my newsfeed and like, oh, Josh is on a different podcast. Let me listen. So he talks about how he got involved in the sport and his involvement with the next Olympic hopeful. So it's always Since always you mentioned... Nice. Since you mentioned Josh, his friends in bobsled on Instagram have been trying to audition him for The Bachelor. <gasps> Get out of town. It's not going to happen because he's like, no way. But it was hysterical, <laughs> the videos that they posted. I cannot imagine Josh being on The Bachelor, to be quite honest. <laughs> I, I can imagine him being like... He's a very handsome, He's eligible a, yes, young man. Yes. Let's let's be fair. So it's That's not like right. So that imagine. I think would be the very attractive part of him being on The Bachelor. But like the person He's, he is, <laughs> too cannot, good of a person. I cannot imagine him doing that. Yeah, he's honest and you know <laughs> moral. So no, Josh, we do not approve of what your friends no, are doing. No. And our modern pentathlete Samantha Achterberg who is a member of the U.S. Army World Class Athlete Program, has been promoted to specialist. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. That was very, congratulations. That's yeah. very cool. I did not, moving on to, uh, oh, good. I'm glad we can put the sad part of the show at the end again. I got to learn how to do this better, organize this better. Um, uh, we uh, hate to announce uh, some Olympians who have passed away. Uh, first off, Sepp, also known as Pepe Heidecker, who was the captain of the Austrian bobsled team for Sarajevo 1984. But you would also know him as the coach of the first Jamaican bobsled team from Calgary 1988. He has passed away. He was 78 years old. Warren Cole, who is from New Zealand and was a gold medalist in the Coxed four-man rowing competition in Mexico 1968, has also passed away. And he was 78 years old as well. And then uh, Craig Fallon from the UK, who was the last British world champion in judo, and he placed seventh at Beijing in 2008. He also passed away, and he was only 36 years old, which is very sad. Yeah. Oh. Do you have anything happier for me? Um, I've got doping news for you. That's not good. No, it's not. Because um, the former Russian sports minister, uh, Vitaly Mutko, who was forbidden from taking part in Olympic Games, he got a decision in his favor from the Court of Arbitration for Sport to overturn the IOC's decision to let him participate. So he had been suspended from Pyeongchang for the doping system that happened in Sochi 14, 2014, and he denied the existence of state-sponsored doping, but he's acknowledged shortcomings in its enforcement of anti-doping regu- regulations. So he is um, now able to go back to the games. And Great. that is news from the Moscow Times. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the whole situation is. They're still fast-tracking specimens for uh, testing, but we shall see. I think I'm going to go back and learn some more Italian now because I need to be cheered up. Okay, that sounds good. It always sounds happy. No matter what you say in Italian, it sounds happy. Buongiorno, ravioli, <laughs> chianti. So, so your week one word was buongiorno. Yeah. Then we've got ravioli, espresso, biscotti, and chianti. And chianti. All right. All so- you need for a good time in Milan. <laughs> Well, on that happy note, we'll wrap it up for this week, and we'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Can we take the wedding picture down? Because I got this diploma.